welcome to a new episode of our Life Science Get Together podcast. Um, I started in the life science industry in 2006 and there was almost no body to talk to on the market. Meanwhile, the ecosystem in Austria has developed tremendously. Many successful life science executives and entrepreneurs are in Vienna. And one of them is the CEO of Abiron Biologics. I hope I spelled the name right. Peter Levelin Davis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Christian, and thank you for the, the flowers, if I may say. <laughs> thank you for taking your time to, to speak to us and uh, give a little bit of uh, insights into your expertise. Um, let's start right away with um, the first question that I have. What does it take today to become the CEO of Abiron Biologics? What is the career path of a CEO? Yeah, well, thank you very much again. Um, my background wasn't originally biotech. That's the most interesting thing, probably. And I, I'm not Austrian, I'm British, but uh, luckily I spent some years in Austria and in Germany and managed to pick up some German at the same time. So that <laughs> certainly helps uh, to be able to speak one language well. <laughs> and luckily, uh, if you're in Austria and you speak Austrian or German with your colleagues, it helps a lot. Mm -hmm. it, does because you get all the nuances of communication which you wouldn't have if people have to speak a foreign language but that's not really anything to do with a ceo um yeah well you know no one's born a ceo it's it's something you have to learn you have to do of course unless your parents uh, own a company and they say you're the next ceo but still then you have to train for it you know you don't get there and just become a ceo you have to do something so Becoming a CEO is basically merit, hard work, and, and mostly luck, because uh, you need to be at the right place at the right time. And, and certainly for the younger people who say, I want to be a CEO, ask yourself if you really want to do it, because it's, it's, a it's not just a title, it's a responsibility. It's not just a responsibility for your company, it's just a responsibility for all stakeholders, whether they be shareholders, employees, Uh, everybody, you know, all your customers, and you're the guy they come to, or lady they come to, and 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 you have to sort of be responsible for all this. So you know, it's a, it's it's fun. I love it. You know, I've never regretted one single moment of it. But you have to ask yourself if you really want to, and become a CEO. Really, it's a, it's 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 like a marathon. You know, I used to run marathons in those days before I moved to Austria and fashion. Success don't come in few months. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, <laughs> can't complete 42 kilometers without mm. uh, practice. So you need to be really motivated as well to do it. And, and, and fourth, you need to take one step at a time. Don't expect to be it immediately. These things take time. Plan a career for the younger ones. Ask yourself, which steps do you need to take to get there? And of course, for a biotech company, you need to have some experience and background in science Most certainly, because biotech is driven by innovation, and that is the most important thing for these companies. And um, becoming a CEO, you need to be able to put all the science in a story and a strategy to find out you might have a great idea, but does mankind really need it? So, in a nutshell, 
those are my views on becoming There's one question that pops up in my mind um, about the skills and expertise needed to become a CEO in the life science industry. When I was uh, young, a few decades ago, um, and I was speaking with uh, people who already made a career. They always recommended uh, start out as an employee, gain some experience and expertise in the industry that you want to work with, and then work yourself uh, up through the career ladder to become a leader and a CEO, but always start with the skills first. When you look at the um, uh, startup ecosystem, sometimes I see a lot of young people directly jumping into founding the company uh, right after university. Um, what skills do you do you see are needed to become a CEO in our industry? Is it only the technical skills that is needed or is there uh, something more behind it? Yeah, well, um, again, you know, this becoming a CEO doesn't mean um, uh, for, for startup, I'm talking about companies which have already established. You can immediately become CEO, just go out, spend 5,000 euros and found a company. Or you can found a limited company for 100 euros. Mm. You're a CEO, great. Um, so th there are differences. But, you know, you have to really think about the right staff and what your acumen is. And uh, I think the most important thing for a startup, for a young company, is that you need, as I mentioned earlier on, science is great, innovation is fantastic, but you need to be able to build a story and a strategy. And you need to be able to tell people about it and they, that they understand it. And, you know, it's pointless having a great idea if mankind doesn't need it. And I mentioned it just now. You need to put these ideas into a story as well. That's great. Storytelling. I hear it very often that uh, the most important thing is to, to tell a company's story. Tell us a little bit about the company you are working with. What's the story behind Apparent Biologics? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing, really, because this is a, a really successful company. And my predecessor, Hans, did a great job when I, uh, when I took over as CEO from him in 2008. Uh, he built this company into what it is um, with a product on the market and, and lots, of, lots of different uh, individual projects ongoing. And uh, it's, it was found in 2003 by Joseph Penninger, originally to, with a drug to treat SARS, and uh, and um, also um, other, other drugs were developed then for oncology. And this SARS product, APN01, was then used for respiratory diseases, RDS and, and, and uh, for example, PAH. And these respiratory diseases were the basis for a transaction we completed with GSK and out-licensed this product to GSK. Then we developed cancer drugs, in particular APN311, And uh, that was marketed um, in 2017 in the EU after the approval. And since then, we've been um, selling the product through our partner, User Pharma. And revenues per year over 70 million euros, 7-0. So it's a successful product. And our other projects are oncology, in particular checkpoint inhibitors and small molecules, which we're developing to treat cancer in discovery stages and also in clinical stages. And then... COVID-19 came along, but that's a different story. Yeah, this was the thought I had uh, when you said that uh, apparent biologic started out in 2003 in respiratory diseases, so that uh, you must also have something in uh, the COVID-19 space or SARS-CoV-2 space. And uh, if I remember it right, and uh, I saw it, I think, in uh, the Lisa Vienna news that apparent biologics recently closed the financing round. How did that go? Um, 
Yeah, that was tough. It was tougher than it sounds because um, um, just to just to get back to the financing round, just to focus on that question. Um, when we announced that we were developing a drug, our first goal was to raise the money to actually make you know, manufacture material, get the right on board, and and also the clinical trials cost a lot of money. We decided to go for a, a fully blown pivotal phase two trial with a with a placebo arm. Blinded and enough patients to us to get statistical significance. That was a strategic decision, and obviously that costs money. So we went out and looked for funding, and with the traditional VCs, uh, that's that's not always easy. Mm-hmm. The venture capital funds are not the best partners for this because they see this project, amongst others, as a very specific thing. So we went out and and spoke to all sorts of people. And as you can see from from the press release, we we got the Vienna Insurance Group on board. And oh, really? What have they got to do with Vienna? With with yeah. they invested seven million euros in the company uh, just congratulations to, just to fund you know the next trials. And and then we got uh, quite a few other private high net worth individuals on board. Uh, but to be honest, we kept it very small. We didn't go broadly. A private company. And and in the end, you know, we raised over forty million euros. Uh, in the to get in the company um, over the last three to six months. Congratulations! Three to six months, you said. Uh, when when I think back at um, the financing rounds that I worked with, I always assume before starting a round that it takes eighteen to twenty-four months uh, when we're on the longer end, or at least twelve, twelve to eighteen months until the money really is on the bank account. When I think about COVID-19, I think the pandemic officially in Europe started mid-March. And a few weeks later, you already had a study set up and a funding round closed. Why was that so fast? What are the reasons? I don't know. I uh, asked my family. I did 18-hour days, but not just me, the whole company. We were really working, working very, very hard. And, you know, the team did it, basically. Um, we had a lot of things in place. We had a data room in place. We had uh, well-organized structures. Uh, we, we were able to convince. We had the story. We had the, the, the story behind it. In the end, it took us six months. Uh, sorry, six weeks. Six, six weeks. weeks. It, took us, it took us from mid-February yeah. to, um, to mid-April. So we're talking two months to get the clinical trial. Yes. Let's not forget, it's a phase two out of nothing. A phase two trial with, at the time, it was uh, 14 centers in Europe, in four countries. We needed ethical, we needed, we needed the approval of the ethical, of the, the clinics, we needed the contracts. Uh, there was so much stuff to do, and it was all done in an extremely short time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, COVID-19 being a pandemic, people were motivated to work quickly in a process which takes three to six months. So we did that in a six to 12, uh, six to 12 weeks as opposed to months. We're helped by Argus in Austria, by the, uh, by, the, uh, by the pay in Germany and other regulatory authorities. The EMA were very supportive. We had great consultants. We had great people. And, and in the end, it all worked out. So touch wood, uh, it, it worked. We got the money and we started the trial. I still have to digest that mentally. So you basically said that within eight weeks, you got a mighty center study with 14 centers in Europe approved. 
by all regulatory authorities, which means in every single country you have a different authority. Yeah. Uh, from my past, I always assumed that it takes a year to get such a study set up and the approvals and the manufacturing in place so that you can really start. Uh, and in parallel, within six weeks, you also close the funding. So out of interest, uh, what has changed in the industry? Were we just basically slow before? Or uh, was there some, some game-changing events that happened that uh, hopefully speeds up also processes in the future? Yeah. Well, um, there are three, three things that lead, led to this. And just to correct you, we, first of all, we set up the trial and announced the trial could start. Then we went out and looked for the money. Mm. Okay. Because we said, if the trial is set up, ready to recruit, with only a few things, we needed another three or four weeks to get the material. Let's not forget the material was in, in the US and China. Yeah, yeah. And we had to get it there, relabel it, you know, it was a nightmare at the time. So um, things have changed. They, because, as I said, because of the pandemic, people were motivated to work quicker. But on the other hand, we were lucky that we were prepared for this. We had everything in place already. We had a team in place. We had a, uh, we, we, funny enough, it's a coincidence. We, we employed a lady uh, to join us in February. We, we already recruited her last year in September, October. And she said, okay, I'll come to a pyron for a totally different trial. And she joined us in February. And I said, look, Sonia, um, sorry, you're going to have to do something totally different. COVID-19, let's get a trial set up. And, and the lady worked around the clock with partners with her experience. I don't think it could have been done without it. So that, that's a big kudos and thank you to her. And, and that's basically it. And we had the structures prepared and, and the story was ready. And, and we had a lot of help. From our board, we had a lot of political connections ourselves, and, and Joseph helped immensely. Irvin, who was also a previous politician, our other board members uh, spoke to investors, and you know, all things gelled into place, and we worked very well as a team together. And other staff got involved in you know, project management, getting the right experts around the world. We're a team from Canada, from the US, from China, uh, uh, from Europe. Um, set up as an advisory board that had to be set up pretty quickly and that was all yeah, done very impressive congratulations to that success and also funding i mean to get uh around did that uh, remember right you said 14 million euros uh if four zero. Hmm? Four zero. Four zero. Four, four zero. Forty. Forty in six weeks closed no. congratulations <laughs> you said uh, i mean the um the fundings are structured in the past, basically, was from the groups I was talking to really narrowed down to a few investors in Europe. Um, before 2020, I had the impression that in Europe there are a few specialized funds uh, that focus on life science, but with other funds, life science is not really a, let's say, a sweet spot where people would like to go to. Um, when I hear you talking, it looks like that new parties now with the pandemic are coming to our industry. Is that a right observation in your eyes? Uh, yes, I think things are changing, in particular the pandemic. Now, I wouldn't be able to be able to do this for an oncology-based company. Mm -hmm. The pandemic, the interest to invest money and obviously earn money, let's not forget, investors invest not just to help mankind. They also want to earn money. Let's not forget this. Yeah, yeah. We think that our product 
is so well prepared because we've already done some clinical trials with it that we could be successful with this. So that's why the motivation to invest in our company was higher than with a purely oncology-based company. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. But uh, there is still a risk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the risk assessment for life science companies. How do you see uh, what makes our company special for investors? I mean, of course, they want to earn money. But uh, when we look at the risk, what's the speciality in our industry? Biotech is fantastic. It's the most unpredictable of every industry whatsoever. And one of our investors, a large investor, said, "Um, what's the probability of a product coming from university mm-hmm. as a discovery project, or even starting the first clinical trial, what's the probability that it will get on the market? And I said, it's less than 10%. And he said, right. So if I go into the casino and put my money on red or black, what's my success rate? 50%. Okay? Mm-hmm. So even if you put the money on one number, your success rate is probably higher than what it is in biotech. Okay. But if you invest in lot that this is what I said to him, if you invest in, 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 in casinos and, and roulettes, yeah, your returns are maximum 36 times. Mm-hmm. Biotech, they can be thousands of what you thousands of times what you put in originally. And there are enough examples of where this happened. I, I completely I completely agree with that statement. Um, that's the risk for a single project. Um, is tremendously higher. So when a project is coming from the university, it's below 10%, maybe it's going to one to 5%. But if the investment capital in a fund is big enough so that they cannot invest only in one company, but uh, spread out their investments over one hand 10 companies or one company with 10 projects, they narrow the, the risk of every single project tremendously down, but keeping the upside alive. But because as you say, I mean, you have uh, sometimes uh, returns that goes into the thousands. What advice uh, would you give to, to private business angels who have an eye on the life science industry or let's say the grandmother who says, I want to make a nice return for my grandchildren and uh, invest everything in one single company. What what advice would you give to such investors? Well, for the grandmother, I would say don't invest in biotech, seriously. Mm -hmm. Because you have to be able to live without the money you lost. In other words, if you have a total failure, it shouldn't hurt you. Mm -hmm. Because then, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket. So I wouldn't do that. So the, the biggest advice I gave all the investors invested in these rounds were look guys if it works fantastic it's going to be fantastic great if it doesn't work we're back to square one we have our other projects we have a lot of lot of interesting stuff going on but this covid thing might not work so remember that and don't be upset 
if the valuation of the company is at the same level as it is. So number one, be, be absolutely transparent. Be absolutely transparent. Share your story as if you invested yourself. Don't try too hard. The investors are in the end thank, thankful for your openness. And your, it's, it's a sincere thing. They believe in management a lot more than you think. So number two is have the management team, which is convincing for investors. And, and number three is if you really want to raise money, then think what people would make. Why would they invest money? All the people you speak to have earned their money somewhere, and it's hard-earned money mostly. So what are they looking for to, to invest in a company like yourselves? And, and answer these questions before you speak to them and before you go out and pitch. I completely agree to what you say, always do a due diligence on the investor first as a company. The most important thing I think uh, for company success, uh, especially for companies who are dependent on investment capital is aligning the expectations. Um, when I think about investing, uh, many people these days, and there's also a growing number in Europe, invest on the stock market. Uh, recently, I learned the term they are retail investors, so which I really like. And the nice thing with investing on the stock market is I invest in a company. When six weeks or eight weeks later, I don't like the story anymore or my emotions focus me in a different direction, I can easily, usually, I can easily sell the stock. When I look at the life science industry, especially at companies that are not listed, how is the reality of investors in a life science company? Uh, is it that easy to, to exit the company? So for example, I would invest in a Pyron Biologics and six weeks later, I come to you and say, look, Peter, I'm not that happy anymore with life science. Uh, give me back my money. Uh, is it that easy to get out of the story like uh, a list, like in a listed company or are there differences? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question because as you said in our pre-briefing, um, I've worked on both sides, yeah. the dark side and the light side. <laughs> I won't tell you which one's the dark side, no, seriously. Yeah. They're both lights. They, they both have pros and cons. There isn't a clear cut, clear cut, better or worse. Uh, the good thing about a public or listed company, as we call it, is that as a retail customer or let's say a smaller shareholder, you can buy and sell when you want to, right? Um, as in a private company, you need to be able to firstly get in. How can you invest? If I told you how many requests we had from all sorts of people, we had hundreds and hundreds of people writing to us after our press release that we were starting a trial in, in, uh, in COVID-19, who said, how can I invest 5,000 euros in your company? Mm -hmm. Or how can I invest? We, we were spending more time answering these emails and actually getting on with our work, but we did it. The thing is though, you can't offer this type of transaction because being a private company, you have to do a capital raise, you have to be allowed, you can do it through crowdfunding, obviously. That's an option. Crowdfunding costs money. So we decided not to do crowdfunding because it costs more money than getting a small group of investors on board. But just to get back, with this private company, obviously you can't just buy shares. You have to find someone who's selling or the company has to decide to do a capital raise. So if there's no funding plan, you can't do it. 
then if you prefer structures and clearness, then a listed company is better. Why? Because you have, regu you have regulatory, let's say, you need to follow rules. You need structures, you have to have reporting, you have due diligences regularly if things are done properly, not like Wirecard, obviously. But, um, uh, <laughs> but, but these, are, these are structured. So, you know, it's a lot of work for the company, I agree. But once you set the structure up and you have the processes working, it's not so difficult. It's better because you're not at the whim and call and beck of all sorts of private investors who call you at, uh, at 10 at night and say, oh, Peter, what's happening with this? And I, it, as a public company, I can say, wait till the next AGM. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you then. And uh, as a private one, I say, okay, that I have to balance what I can tell him and I have to think yeah. about it. And if it's the biggest shareholder, you know, that's the way it is. But uh, I, I try and keep all interests the same. And, and last, um, there's more money. There's more money invested in public companies. Mm. It's quite simple. Quite simply, why? Because a, a lot more funds, especially the US funds and the UK funds, invest only in public companies in Europe because, quite simply, they don't understand the systems. That's true. Private systems. So that speaks a lot for listed companies, but again, some companies aren't ready to be listed, so that has to be balanced. Yeah, luckily, when you mentioned Wirecard, it's a different industry, but luckily these companies are not the norm. They are the exceptions on the market. Uh, you worked, you said you worked for both sides, for the dark and the light side. I like that uh, Star Wars analogy. Um, you were CFO and uh, CPO at Medigen. It's a German-based company that is listed, I think on the, it's listed on the German market, isn't it? Um, when I speak to, to younger life science entrepreneurs, very often they come up with the idea that they need to do an IPO. They need to get their company listed. Um, so talk a little bit about expectations. How is the world in a listed life science company for a life science executive? Is there a difference to the uh, private sector or are they pretty much the same? Yeah. Well, being listed is like running a marathon again. I love <laughs> You end up being tired and hot, but you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, no, being listed is, 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 is a, long, is a long, long road. You need to be prepared for it, obviously. Mm. It's not just about um, you know, just going there, reading about it in NASDAQ or whatever. Uh, you need to have the right investors on board before you do the listing. So, uh, so for my recommendation, number one is get a group of investors on board who can also follow through with a listing later. So there's not much point having uncle, auntie and doctor what's own. So have as investors, but you, you really need known investors who are known in the business who pull other investors across the line, whether they be life science funds or biotech funds or whatever, healthcare funds. They, All these people you need before you do the IPO. That's rule number one. And rule number two, get the company. You need, you need a totally different thing. Not just great to know the company. You need a structure that the investors look at. And this could take years, obviously. Because, you know, how are you going to pay a good executive or get someone to join the company if you say, okay, I'm going to do an IPO, and he says, well, you're not ready yet. What's your story? How is he doing it? And number three is the story. Again, what's your story?
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. How should how should the story look like for a company uh, that uh, has put their strategic goal on the horizon to make an IPO? Is it possible with a one product company, in your opinion, so that you just to raise 200 million or do you need a pipeline? Sure. No, no, you need it works with one product. It works. Um, it, you just need proof, proof that it works. Mm -hmm. Usually not enough to have animal models. It's usually I'm just speaking from my personal experience. There are other there are other examples, you, uh, but you need you need enough data to be able to prove that it works. In principle, I'm talking about human data, probably from clinical trials. Uh, some efficacy uh, is very helpful, very useful. Mm -hmm. Again, if you have the right investors on board. They will help you with this process of planning. So getting the right investors on board at the beginning, experienced life science investors, they are pivotal to helping this project. And number two, set up an advisory board. Yeah, It's money worth spent, whether it be a supervisory board or buyout or whatever you want to call it, or uh, a strategy advisory board. Get some experienced executives from other companies who've done it, or have the experience and, and open doors with contacts, get them on board as, as advisors, and they will help you as well. I think we need to do more for young people who want to found companies. Mm -hmm. Give them the, the, the support as well to help them, not just through FFG or AWS who do a great job, uh, but, but also through investment capabilities outside of Austria. Yeah. How do you see the, the, the ecosystem in Europe um, when we talk about the life science startup scene? My experience is that uh, we get great support from public funding bodies like uh, FFG, AWS. Also, uh, the Horizon program from the European Union is a great one. Um, when I look on the business angel side, especially in the early stages of a company formation, I have more and more the feeling that um, I would put it that way, that we lack money, we lack capital in that area. How do you see it? Yeah, I agree, totally. And why? Um, quite simply because a lot of people are reluctant to invest into something they don't understand. Yeah. That's, that's the main reason, I think. As opposed to US, it's exactly the same. They don't invest in something they don't understand either, but they have scientists who are trained to invest in companies. Um, my favorite saying is, if, if I spend a week running through Europe, in London and Zurich and Paris and Frankfurt and wherever, and Scandinavia, this money I can get in an afternoon in New York or in Boston, right? I can have three meetings in New York or Boston and 20 meetings in Europe. You have more expertise and more money in, in North America than you have here. That's the way it is. 
it's something we have to change, but it won't change from today to tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I agree to that. I think also we need more money allocated at scientists so that they are in a position um, to invest money in companies. I think I don't think it's um, a problem that solves quickly. It needs a lot of exits so that uh, scientists learn how to develop companies and also make enough money to, to reinvest that. From what I see, life is a little bit better after the early stages. So once, as you say, once a company has some sort of efficacy data from animal models and is preparing for an IND, this is the, the area where a lot of family offices and VC funds operate. Um, when I look at the COVID-19 situation, I have a little bit of the feeling that uh, more and more investors are coming into that spot. And also you said that you get... Um, a lot of requests from from other funds. Do you think that uh, interest in life science will also be there when we uh, oppose the pandemic, which I expect happens in 2021? Do you believe that these investors are meant to stay in the industry or do we go back to before 2020? I, I hope not, sincerely. Um, it's, the sad thing is most of the usual investors who invest in life science and biotech aren't investing in companies for COVID-19. Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I spoke to quite a few. I've spoken to a few investment banks in the US and Europe, but also with, with, with investors. And I said to famous investors, you know, really big ones mm-hmm. in the UK. And they said, look, there's too much going on. It's uh, number one, it's a pandemic. You don't know when it's going to finish. Is it going to, are people going to be immune? How big is the model? Mm-hmm. Will we have a, a vaccine and a treatment, hopefully ours? on the market next year. And then what's going to happen then? You have a treatment and a vaccine. That's it. It's, it's one virus. It's one disease. Yeah? It's not like breast cancer or, 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 or I don't know, or other oncology products or even, you know, diseases like Alzheimer's. That's a long-term thing. But this is a pandemic. It could be over soon. And therefore, why should they invest a lot of money? That's, that's the view of many investors. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, you said that an, an old project of the Apiron pipeline uh, has also use in, in this pandemic. And maybe a few years down the road, we have the next one. I, I think these viruses are coming back every yeah. couple of years. So when I remember, I, mean, I think we had in 2002 was SARS. Then a few years later, we had another pandemic, another pandemic, another pandemic. But... Uh, the difference was it was more on the, let's say, um, it was not high profile. It was more on the low profile side. So no, basically nobody outside our industry was aware of this pandemic situation in the past. And this changed in 2020. When I read through the news flow, I get the feeling that our entire industry currently uh, is 200% focused on solving two things, therapeutics for COVID-19 cases and developing a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, you said Apiron also has oncology products in the pipeline. Is there still something else going on than uh, COVID-19 and vaccine research in our industry? Or are we really only solving that problem right now? Of course not. Things go on as businesses as usual. It's just in the news a lot more. We're still running our oncology programs. We're still focusing on those in parallel. Otherwise, you know, if it doesn't work, we've forgotten about the other stuff. No, no. I, I think the awareness is going to increase in biotech. And as you can see, companies like BioNTech, CureVac, Moderna, mm-hmm. 
all, all, the, uh, all the smaller companies are becoming more famous now. Uh, Acheron's become more famous in, in, in Austria in particular because of the pandemic. Okay, it's a, it's a short-lived thing always, but on the other hand, people understand that these biotech companies, it takes years for them to be successful. And, and they understand the industry a lot more, which I think is great for biotech. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, it takes uh, years to understand the industry, to build a company. And um, there is a lot of potential in Europe in biotech, which is uh, yet to be developed. Uh, when I look at the ecosystems, I think we in Europe completely missed the train in the digital space. So in that area, when I look at um, famous companies, it's Apple, it's Amazon, it's Google, uh, or Alibaba and Tencent in China. There's, uh, I'm not aware of any company that uh, really became a big multinational corporation. We are about losing the game in the automotive industry. So Tesla is taking over the market, BYD from China, uh, Jelly. And I think the potential in, in healthcare, in life science in Europe is immense, but we lack capital. Um, how would you think could we improve the ecosystem in Europe so that maybe we build the next industry out of Europe? Um, universities, public image, money, mm -hmm. rich people. There are a lot of rich people, but they're not all in Europe. Um, yeah. They invest in US funds, they don't invest in European funds. They do more and more, but we need more money in Europe. Mm. More funds, we need more awareness. We're not talking about private people, we're not talking about public companies, we're talking about the big money. We need, yep. to, we need to do tax structures so that investors who decide to spend money in investing in a biotech company, that, these, that they actually have a tax advantage as well if the whole project goes pear-shaped, it doesn't work. Yeah. These are the things we have to work on. It works in some countries. The UK biotech industry is very successful. And, and I wouldn't 100% agree. There are a lot of success stories in Europe as well, um, whether it be Spotify or whether it be Skype or whether it be ARM, ARM, which is the UK-based mm -hmm. chip manufacturer who, who, who supply most smartphones. Uh, there are a lot of success stories here as well. So it's not all bad, but we're just not as big as, as, um, as, as the, the US companies. And there's another reason for this, because Europe is not the US. We are... No. We are, say, 28 countries, or 27 in future, 27 countries with different jurisdictions. If there's a problem in California, the National Guard goes to California, and yeah. the money is pumped into California from the US government. If there's a problem in, in, in Austria, everybody want, opens their hands and says, I want some as well. It's, it's not cohesive, it's not comparable. Mm. It's to take another generation before Europe becomes something, anything similar, to China or, or, or the US. So it'd be nice to have, but it, it, it's not going to happen at the moment. No, I agree with that. I mean, I'm a huge fan of unity in Europe, so I also think we have to, to work on that very hard. The companies you mentioned, yes, they are successful, but what I see is, I mean, Spotify got listed in the United States, so yeah. they started out. Arm, I mean, it's nice for all NVIDIA shareholders. Uh, I think the selling process from SoftBank to NVIDIA is ongoing and should be closed pretty soon. It was to see the same in um, also the life science industry. I mean, in Austria, Nabriva got listed on the on the Nasdaq. Kukipa Pharma 
got listed on the Nasdaq. And I would say a change in the tax system and also um, leading politicians to, to make more awareness that it's important to improve the capital market in Europe is key to success for us. So uh, it's really nice talking to you. And I think we can, we can speak endlessly. Uh, I would be here for another three hours, but I know you have to run a company. Um, so I would like to ask you one final question at the end. Um, when I was a young student, uh, there was always the question, what career path uh, should I pick up? And as I said at the beginning, I, I don't see much documentation in the life science business. So let's assume I'm a 20-year-old student who is interested in becoming a life science executive. What advice would you give that young student? That's a difficult question because uh, things change, as you quite rightly say. And, and um, there's a German saying, I'll try to translate it. Der Weg ist das Ziel. Mm -hmm. In other words, the route you take is your goal. Right? So you have to look at the route you take very carefully along the way. That's my first advice. Mm -hmm. you, you have to set yourself a goal, obviously, but you have to follow this goal and plan it. But the most important thing, I think, is if I was to give someone advice who's 20 years old or, or even elder, it doesn't have to be 20, is you need mentors. Every part of your journey, you need someone who you can talk to. And most important, someone who gives you feedback. It could be your boss. I always say feedback is very important for anyone because it means someone's taking the time and the interest to tell you something about yourself. If they didn't care about you, they wouldn't say anything. And even if it's not so positive and not so nice, it's feedback and you can use that to develop yourself. That's number one. Find someone who has the time and who gives you feedback. It could be your boss. Then focus on your special skills, but try and broaden your horizon. If you're the scientist who's, who's a fantastic lab expert and says, I want to found a company, don't forget there's a world outside of there. Yeah, Investors need to talk about dogs and cinema films and stuff like that and what's going on in your politics. They don't invest just because uh, you're good at your job. They invest because they like you. So that's an important thing as well. Don't forget about the rest of the world. And, and number three, and that's the most important thing, final thing, is do everything with purpose and with passion. If you do your job and you love it and you want to do it, that is the motivator to get things done. And you need to put all your efforts into getting it done and say, I want to do this, I'm going to do it, and really do it as well. Follow through with it. And that's the biggest advice for any young person. If you set yourself something as a goal, do it or stop it, then don't do it. But either if you do it, do it properly and do it with everything. Peter, thank you very much for your time. It's really great to have you with your expertise here in Vienna and uh, with your consent, I would also give uh, your contact data in the description of the podcast. So if anybody would like to engage with Apiron Biologics or uh, as an investor or is looking for uh, helping to solve the health problems in the world, just reach out to Peter and uh, I hope to chat to you soon. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Christian and everyone out there, all the best. Stay safe and looking forward to catching up again. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.